Welcome to Geek Nerd Tech on Black Hollywood Live. Today, Google and Facebook have an economic problem. Let's go. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live's Geek Nerd Tech. Here we go, here, here we go again. Trayvon will never get to be an older man. Black children, they childhood. Welcome to Geek Nerd Tech on Black Hollywood Live. Um, the show we break down tech news and their culture from a black and brown geek perspective. Uh, I'm Joe Braswell. I'm joined as always by Mr. Kitty Shine. Yes, sir. Kitty Shine from the building. Uh, this is Common. Common and Stevie Wonder, man. Common dope, and Stevie. It's a dope track right here. I'm, I have to confess, I'm 100% not knowing about this track. It's all good, man. With, with, where, it's where called is Black America again. It from? It's Common's new album. He's oh, it's with, new. Come on with that heat. Oh, that makes me feel better, Lee. <laughs> I'm like, I with never. That, that politicized, you know. Socially conscious, right. you know, lyrical content, which I'm really loving in this in this time that we're in. That's good. Well, coming off of the Oscar win and Selma and sort of the momentum he's he's gotten from that. Not that he wasn't that dude already, yeah, of but it's just an opportunity to propel himself to a level where people are paying attention. So, what better time to 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 you know to to get some messages out there? Yeah, I think it just. It's kind of um, just seeing a lot of artists embrace these times and you know become more vocal in their creative process as with as to what you know they're communicating to their audience i think it's just really good it's good for the young folks that you know we have kind of like in the early 90s a diversity of hip-hop in terms of the lyrical content like a lot of it isn't just trap music and just buffoonery but we have some substance and music that is actually you know going to heal and you know uplift us you know as well as entertain us so i was uh thinking the same thing when i was listening to travis scott last night because this is a joke i'm sorry That's right <laughs> <laughs> but this is my uh, joke. Uh, uh, welcome to our show. We lots to talk about. We got a lot of uh, tech news and and nerd news and and some different things to talk about. But I want to. Um, this cool things on my mind. I, I I saw. Let's see a lot of things to talk about. We saw. Um, I saw a, a screening of Moonlight. Um, and if you guys don't know about this f- film, it is a uh, small independent film that got raves in Toronto and raves in, in, I believe, Sundance. And it's uh, uh, basically a small black film that kind of deals with, um, you know, um, homosexuality in in a very interesting way. And it's probably one of the most affecting, well-acted, well-directed films that is a tiny, small film that I've seen in years. And it really, really affected me. I just, I I want, I'd be remiss if I don't mention it. Uh, Moonlight, I know you probably read about it and stuff, but... um, I, I don't think you've seen it because it just, it just dropped on Friday. But maybe you've seen it. You're busy. But have you have you, have you heard feedback? Yeah, team? Definitely. You know, I definitely know about the movie. Read about the movie. Heard about it. <clears throat> um, yeah, and it's getting rave reviews. Um, just a, as a piece of art in terms of just how it's shot, the cinematography, the 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 quality of acting, and then all, obviously the storyline, which is you know some, as it relates to the black community too, is something that's yeah. often not really addressed or really communicated on so i think having all those those three things operating together you know it produces a strong product and i hope that you know i hope that as a black film it's embraced by you know our community unlike um birth of a nation you know we didn't really show up for that movie so no. you know we got to support why do you think that is controversy only or uh, just in general definitely controversy um i think it was subverted you know through you know it was the, the quality of the art and the work and the, the the themes that were being addressed in the movie were kind of marginalized and what was magnified was his personal stuff and I feel that was strategic 
Um, and also, I think a lot of us as a people were fearful to face um, imagery and stories of slavery. You know, we talk about post-traumatic slave syndrome, and oftentimes it's hard to look at look at ourselves in the mirror and to to see, you know, stories of of abuse and pain and oftentimes we stray away from that and i think that is that is a part it's a part of a part of the symptom but it's something that we have to overcome and i think we should embrace you know a story of slavery that is actually more more uh, a narrative that's from from our voice you know and i i think i was just really disappointed with those numbers like i yeah. i went to see the movie and i was literally the only person in the theater mm. like a, a huge theater one person in there wow it's terrible you Not, know of, of any of any race or gender huh? <laughs> that that is terrible i i think that like what, what do, you, do you think that we um i speak to black folks do you think that we are have a little bit of slave movie fatigue you know do you do buy into that like uh another slave movie i mean i get it you know, do you, do you buy into that at all? Don't buy it at all. That argument is is terrible. It's a weak argument. Like we, I mean, do we say that with other forms of movie? Do we get to say we're tired of of you know the the the, the comedic output that we that we are able to create that's pretty similar in structure? Well, well, I said that to your point. I mean, not 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 that slave movies are are. Uh, it's just the pain that, that that maybe we feel or don't want to feel in watching a mo- watching this movie. Uh, as as black folks, you know, and I'm sure you know, you know, white folks have 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 uh, expressed other reasons, similar reasons, and other reasons for for seeing and not seeing those movies. But like for us, uh, I wonder if it's, it is sort of a painful thing, like you know, especially uh, in our younger generation, especially the yeah. millennials. And, and and being in pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because once you're able to acknowledge that you're in pain or that you have something that's afflicting you or affecting you emotionally, psychologically, then you can do something about it. And just from the historical value of it, like a lot of us young folks don't even know the history of Nat Turner. Yeah. You know, most of what we're taught in school about African and African-American history is limited to like three things. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. So to have a story about a slave who actually rebelled against this brutal system and not have us participate in it, I think it does... It, it, doesn't do justice to you know, our ancestry and our history and also doesn't really empower young folk because it's not giving them the full scope of of what happened yeah and it's a piece of art like it's beautifully shot it's well constructed and it's directed produced financed by a black man like yeah. we gotta embrace that you know what do you i mean what do you think about that uh i, I think you're being really liberal with harriet tubman i think it's more like Martin Luther King, <laughs> rosa parks but well, harriet tubman's in the curriculum it's just true it's very true um no yeah i i uh i um I, I think it's an interesting topic because I, 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 I conflicted with this myself. I find it, I'm of two minds of this. I, I do think that there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of fatigue because I do feel like I don't want the movie going experience to feel like it is, oh, I gotta go see this one now. I want to be able to want to go and learn about this thing and I want it to be good, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's a certain amount of pain and a certain amount of uh, drama and, and, and that, that, you're, that you're sort of embracing and putting yourself to while you're learning, right? Yeah. But I also, <clears throat> I also agree that I don't, I don't like the, the 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 slave experience, if you will, to be so monolithic, like as it is in, in the culture, like a slave movie. There's so many different intricate stories to be told through you know, during that whole time that that are weaved through in and out of slavery that are that that are the fabric of sort of our history. That I don't like the idea of it being. A slave, like like just, just being, you know, pigeonholed as slave movies. I mean, they're they're stories. There are stories. I feel like I wish there was a a better way to be able to 
Um, I'm just more more like a marketing standpoint, more more better way to just say, look, this is uh, these are some stories. They took place during these times, and you need to embrace them for what they are as these stories. But at the end of the day, it's a slave narrative. It is a slave, slave narrative, but I, but I, but I think that there's a there's a sort of like. Um, there's a box that that people put it into mentally, yeah, when, and it has a negative connotation. To yeah, it. but it doesn't have to. That's it, the but that, point. that's my point. I don't want. I, I want to figure out a way to not have it have a negative connotation. Yeah. Like I want it to, you know, instead of, a, instead of a slave movie or slave story, I want it to be a story set in you know set in these times. You know, I, I don't think that. In other words, I don't. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, there's, there's been a, th- a bunch of Holocaust movies, and 100. You don't hear those arguments, with yeah, that, or you don't hear the arguments with the veterans when they when we, they they do a, a World War II movie or right. any type of war movie. Like, so right. those arguments to me are very weak, and they and they they distract they distract us from going through the healing process. Sure. And I feel like, man, slavery, you know, is, a, is America's original sin. Like, centuries of slavery, and we only have, what, 12 movies? Yeah. And, and out of those 12 movies, like, how many of them are directed and, and told from the perspective of a black person? Not yeah. probably the minority. So I think it's right. shameful for us not to embrace one that is. Yeah, I mean, especially the, that's the thing that's not only like America's sin, it's just America's origins and sort of built, you know, this country is built from the backs of slaves, like fi- financially, economically, and, and, and actually just, you know, Construction, you know, the White House is built by slaves. So it's like, you know, so yeah, I think that that there's a lot of stories to be told, you know, yeah. within that narrative. But anyway, um, I digress. I do, just one more thing, uh, just really pivoting over to Moonlight is that um, I just found this. I just want, I just found this profoundly moving as a piece of art. I mean, forget. I mean, you know, subject matter, fantastic acting, fantastic. But just what I was looking at, it's been a long time. I mean, it just reminded me very much of Terrence Malick. A lot of a lot of Spike Lee in there, but a lot of Terrence Malick in there, but a lot of like visually what I'm seeing, I felt like I was just sitting at a at, a, at an art museum looking at beautiful paintings and was very moved by what I saw. Mm-hmm. And there's very very little dialogue in the film. But the what what these actors are emoting and what yeah, um, the visuals are saying is I don't think I, it's just it's been a long time since I've since I've said that since I've, yeah. since I've felt that it's akin to like just sitting on a bench in a in a, in a, in, a, in, a in an art museum just staring at a photo and then you know maybe shedding a tear because you're really into what's what you're seeing right. that's what this movie's like to me and I think that to, to achieve that visually and and and, uh, and 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 from a narrative standpoint and from an acting standpoint was it's just remarkable so I can't, I can't recommend it enough and Janelle Monae and and uh, Naomi Naomi um, I forget my girl's name the British girl um, she, uh, she's in it and my man uh, Cottonmouth is in it you know from from uh, Luke Cage from Luke Cage mm-hmm. and and uh, my dude from um, the Nick uh, Doctor Elginon's in it and it's just it's just fantastic anyway that that's that's that being said check it out. All right, making a hard pivot into the world of tech. So in this election season, what's, what's been in the news is in general a lot. We, we talk a lot about trade. You know, um, Donald Trump's been talking a lot about trade. We talk about like uh, a lot about TPP. Um, uh, you know, are we for it? Do we like it? Are we against it? Before that, we talked about NAFTA. You know, uh, Trump called that the worst, the worst deal in history, uh, which is you know all economists rebuke, rebuke that. But the reason why I bring up trade is because Google and Facebook um, is it, this new study that they, that they contribute zero economic value, meaning like they don't have a measurable way to to um, in, in 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 the way that most 
large companies do, whether it's U.S. Steel or, or, or Ford or, or, or even Walmart, there's no way to measure sort of what their economic um, value is or isn't in a tangible sense. And why that's an issue, um, it's, it's, it's hard to for trade because these are two gigantic, hugely money-producing American companies that, on paper, don't really produce anything. You know, and so and then and, and so thinking about how to reconcile that um, as, as we look to the future of what what America is going to be known for is actually an interesting and kind of complicated but interesting economic problem. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far to say there's no way to measure it. I would just That's say true. that the rules of measurement need to, to change to be more inclusive That's of, right. you know, the, the future state that we're in. And so, I mean, it, it's interesting that when we talk about companies that in the industrial time, um, would grow so big that they become a monop- uh, monopoly because of, of the goods that they were distributing, producing. Like, but with, with social media area, there are no goods. There are no tangible, hard goods that they're producing and distributing. It's more of an, an idea. It's in the ether. It's like invisible. Mm-hmm. It's a concept. It's a platform. And so I think because of that, this mystique of of, of what it is, is 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 baked into that argument. But when you talk about trading overseas and just how a lot of the, like the European Union and China, all these roadblocks that are kind of like put um, in front of like the Facebooks, the Twitters, the, the Googles of the world, because in a way they're trying to get, you know, a little edge advantage over America. I think I read a statistic saying that out of all the... Uh, the digital company, all, all the the biggest digital companies, uh, I think like the top ten, America holds like forty percent of the wealth, or like a huge number, a huge, a huge percentage of the wealth. Right. Even though China has way more um, digital companies in America, but America has obviously the biggest. Right. But in a way to like compete with America, maybe China or countries within the U- European Union are going to tax them or prevent them from having you know certain access to the people in those regions. And I think yeah. that's an interesting topic because. In a way, it's like a it's, it goes against the fair trade rules that are established with hard products, tangible products that yep. these countries already have. Yeah, and that, that's something like like you know these companies are trying to. I mean, we don't really have Alibaba like here, you know, <laughs> and then and they don't have you know they they they, they lock out a lot of our companies there. I mean, even even uh, companies that I do consider tech companies like Uber trying to penetrate uh, in China and it, it, it's difficult. So it's really, mm-hmm. di- but it's really important to the fabric of our, you know, trade is important, whether, whether you're for it or against it, whatever, but trade is important on both sides. I mean, we, we help grow a bunch of, you know, we help build middle classes and p- take people out of poverty all over the world. And, and a lot of our goods and services that we receive are, you know, uh, that, that even though they may be cheap and made in China, um, it, it, it really, it stimulates our economy that the fact that we're able to buy so much, but the fact that like, um, that from a tech standpoint, that that you know, the, I don't know that that doesn't exist or can't exist in that way. It's just it's an interesting conundrum. But you know, I get it from the perspective of the foreigner, in the sense that you know we talk about all the time on the show how large these tech companies are becoming and have become bees, and, and will become bees, bees, and not having you know a, a competitor to you know, drive innovation or to level the playing field, I think from a different country's perspective could be of high concern. Like I don't want to allow Google to come into our space and be able to dominate and we, we can't generate that type of energy and power within our own ranks. Like I, I would I would I would be suggested that they are probably trying to do as much as they can to tax and prevent them from really being u- ubiquitous in, in those regions. Like or trying to at least leverage and, and and pivot so that they can at least have some type of 
com competitive value, you know? Right, so, right. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But um, I want to move on to something that I had this idea. This is one of the things that, like, you know, I kind of, you have so many ideas for apps and you come up with the idea, you think about it, and then someone else does it. This just shows you, like, how. Um, everyone can have an idea, but only certain people can do and develop. Mm -hmm. uh, Delta has a new app that lets you track your bag from the airplane to the airport. It seems like a very simple idea and, and, and a meaningless idea, but I guess as part of the service that an airline uh, app provides, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it lets you know where your bag is. Uh, you know, it's nothing like being, uh, you know, you know, uh, whatever, a mile high in the sky looking at your app and seeing your bag is still in the tarmac, but yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much that, that happens with Delta. I don't know. It's a, it's. Well, I think it's cool for Delta because it really helps keep their workers in Delta accountable because yeah. they're showing transparency. These women say, look, this is how much we know we're going to be on point because we're letting you track your bags. Right. And, um, and, if, and if there is a mistake, at least you know exactly where it is and where it's going to come. So I think, this, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool too. I mean, because at the end of the day, they want to be able to, you know, keep the their customers, you know, they want to keep the customer satisfaction high, and that's that's a huge deal breaker. You know, when you choose an airline and your bags get lost, or you go on vacation and you don't have your your, your luggage, or you right. go on a business um, excursion and you don't have your equipment or whatever, like that 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 might make you not want to fly with that 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 airline. And so, I think having the transparency, as you say, and just utilizing the technology to be able to at least you know. Be outward facing and say, "Hey, you have the you have the opportunity to get all your information yeah. in this app, not just you know your points, your miles, and um, the the gate information, but also your bag." And I think that is very inclusive of the whole travel experience. And I know they're using um, RFID technology, not using GPS technology yet, but I think that will be good. You know, once they are able to you know really incorporate GPS technology to make it a little bit more accurate and yeah. specific. Yeah, this this is also all that is getting into the you know sort of getting into the Black Mirror territory. Like what's because every time I see these new technology, I think of you know in the Black Mirror, like like what's next? What's the one step? We're right here. What's the one step further? Are we going to be tracking our pilots to see if they're at the bar? Are we going to be tracking you know looking up the the, the the safety record, tracking like you know this is it's, it's it's interesting tracking the, the uh, how many times the plane you have is what's the service record on the plane you have. Uh, as a friend of mine, I'm sure they already tracked that, but that's not public yeah, information. Not public information. Yeah. No, no, but I have a friend uh, uh, who is she is obsessed, and she's uh, lives in Atlanta. She's obsessed with uh, plane models. What 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 the plane model is? Like she won't fly in a plane. Goes oh nope. That's the that's the DC seven twenty five. That one's crashed like five times. Like she's all about it. But uh, I think that's interesting because uh, you know. And plane crash is so rare, but you know, I think it's, it's good to have that information. That's funny to a certain degree. Uh, that, that's actually Steve's Steve's uh, cousin does that. She's, oh, she's funny. Uh, anyway, um, moving on. T-Mobile is in a bit of trouble. They got fined forty eight million dollars, which seems kind of light. Forty eight million dollars for slowing internet speeds. Mm -hmm. um, basically, you know, we, you know, we we had this big kerfuffle, if you will, last year over net neutrality and what this means and keeping the net and keeping corporations out of the ability to to uh, to manipulate what you you know what your um, speeds are and kind of things on the net. Well T Mobile has their wonderful unlimited data. Unlimited data from T Mobile. All the data you want until you get to about seventy gigabytes and we're gonna cut it in half. So it turns out that basically a lot of a lot of um Customers, once they get to 17 gigs, uh, T-Mobile slows your junk way down. I guess because it's a, it's a, you know, unlimited data is not really unlimited because all that info has to be somewhere. So you can tout that, but you can't really manage that. 
if you're growing like that, right? So I guess their 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 yeah. way to fix that was we're just going to like shrink it down and they won't know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 that uh yeah, it's just the type of marketing that you know is distasteful because you know they're throwing in your face, you know these these keywords that mm-hmm. are attractive and you know that pull you in and make you sign up and. Uh, you know, without reading the fine print, like yeah. you're, I mean, you're not, you're not, you're getting a bad deal essentially because, I mean, we live in a in, in a landscape where you know you watch a couple movies, listen to a couple podcasts and albums, and that 17 gigs ramps up real quick, and your month you got 20, 25 more days left in your month cycle, so it's like okay, now you're gonna slow my speed down. Now I can't, I can't get anything, so I think that's kind of corruptible in the sense and. I'm glad that they were fined, and I do agree with you in terms of the the price tag on that. I think it's very low. I think they should have hit them over the head, you know, because I think uh, who was it? Was it AT and T where they hit over the head for like a hundred million? Yeah. I wonder, like the justification. Forty million is, is that's that's like that's like you know seat cushion money for the yeah. for, for them. I mean, and I, even how it's being distributed back out, I think you know is is kind of funky. Like the government's taking like a, a percentage of that, yeah. and then you know I like the fact that they're donating a, a million dollars, which is not very much, but also you know. Chump change, a million dollars to uh, inner city kids who don't have uh, internet or or, get out of here, or phones get or out of here. tablets to be able to do homework on. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm still get out of there because any money is good money, and that's that's thing. You it's should be just, doing that anyway. <laughs> a, you should be doing that anyway. B, it's such a, a million dollars. It's, it's such a you know they, they should be doing it anyway. That's all that. That's that, it's such a PR uh, you know whitewash, if you will. But anyway. Uh, but see, yeah. that's the thing with T-Mobile. In terms, this is my last note on this. In terms of the demographic, the audience is younger folks, you know. So I think, yeah. I think that uh, Trojan horse marketing ploy works for them because a lot of a lot of kids aren't going to read the the contract. You and, know? T- and T-Mobile, you know, to their credit or to their not credit, are like very much like, hey man, we we said it's unlimited. We didn't say it was going to be fast the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got to read. It's unlimited, but you know, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's fast. <laughs> I don't know. You want cheap? You want cheap internet or what? Man. So we I didn't mean, say it's going to be fast. <laughs> yeah, we just said it's going to be unlimited. So uh, yeah, uh, that is yeah, that's just it's interesting. And there's no fine print. Even I'm looking at the ad. There's no, the fine print is the fine print must be really fine in there. So <laughs> it's like blended into yeah, the yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, um, moving on. Speaking of phones, uh, you know, there's a lot of the uh, you know Samsung, Samsung Note um, debacle is now being sort of examined and. And autopsied, if you will, and dissected it. And one of the things that's coming out is that uh, there was a couple of mis- there's a lot of mistakes along the way. Like when you know when 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 um the Note Seven first started catching fire, they did a bunch of X rays and CT scans on some phones and found that like one of the batteries out of one of their out of one of their company affiliates had a little bulge in it, and they just really were like, oh, that's it, get rid of all those, we're all set, keep it moving. Well, that wasn't a problem, and shit kept blowing up. <laughs> and it, it's a huge mistake, man. Uh, that's just one of the things that came out, and then we're seeing like it's just it's just interesting how you see like this uh, how, how corporate failing can happen, uh, come still come from the top down, mm. and a whole gigantic company can fall in line and still be the wrong mistake. It's a huge lesson. Huge lesson. It's a very surprising in the sense that yeah, a large company like this, a global company like this, doesn't have the checks and balances in place to, to ensure that something to ensure that one of their major products is like Trump tight ready to go, especially when they're trying to compete against Apple and get a lar- expand their, their market share. I mean, this is detrimental to a company in terms of its brand identity, brand allegiance from, from co- consumers. I mean, I think it it shows how sh- how shaken and rattled they are when they're facing Apple in the sense that hey, we got to get this product out now, you know, because a- Apple, you know, the the seven the seven plus is coming. We got to get it out before right. then. Like, but 
more. We're not talking about an ear earbud not work. We're not talking about a power button not work. We're talking about shit blowing up, <laughs> like exploding. So, I, yeah, the checks and balances on this is like it boggles my mind. It's one of those things where we, you know we always think all the time like ah. Oh, Big company like Samsung, they look, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And when you read this stuff, you're like, oh, wow, people don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, I guess it's the same like <laughs> when some cars get recalled because they have something wrong with the engine. But still, like, you would yeah. think that, I mean, you would think that in, in this time that they, after how many launches that came, that, you know, preceded this, they would have stuff in place. Like, okay, box check, box check, product is good. Test, test, test. A plus. You yeah, know? because, the, the, you know, seeing a bulge and be like, oh, that's the problem. And then, and then, you know, get get rid of the bulges and and, and ship the rest is that just seems so responsible. Whatever. I mean, it's yeah. all it's all hindsight, of course, yeah. and the stakes are high. But man, I don't know. Um, another person that that there's a there's a talk which I don't really you know love this article, but there's, there's, there's a they're saying that another victim of Samsung's nightmare has been actually Apple, which is and not in that uh, Apple is directly. Uh, Paying the price for this, but what they're saying is they haven't really been able to capitalize. I agree over over, over what's going on why, because why don't you why don't you like that? Um, I feel like to a certain degree, maybe this is my Apple. I mean, I'm talking about the article, the way the article, the article, the article itself is written. It feels more of like a kind of a, a Apple trash piece than it does a, a proper analysis. But maybe maybe I just read it too quickly. But what, but but essentially, we could talk about this right now because what essentially what they're saying is, look, you know. Uh, uh, s- uh, sales of smartphones are flattening, if, if at best flattening. Apple's s- sales are kind of are dropping a little bit yeah, so in decline. terms of where they're declining from where they where they've been, which is steady, you know, straight uphill increase. So you know, you have some plateauing and some dropping. But uh, the 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 iPhone Seven is sort of a lackluster <laughs> debut, and it's got problems of its own. And after in, in, in the wake of your chief competitor, phones blowing up. You still can't capital. You still can't get people to switch over to iPhone to iPhone Seven or to iPhone in general. Yeah, like that seems like a fail. And I agree with that. I agree with that because when you look at the whole ensemble of Apple products, I mean, you know, we, we won't talk about the computers, but we'll talk about you know the tablets, the phones, the, the watches. Like the, the the watches are doing terribly. We already are, know are, that. Are you, are you calling the watch? Are you going to call the watches a failure? I mean, I would say it's a failure as a. I would say it's a failure when you are comparing uh, other Apple product launches and just the trajectory and the history of Apple. When it drops something, it's highly successful. The Apple Watch is not highly successful. It's just not. Like, look at the numbers. Statistically, it's it's going. It's been going down since it launched. In terms of like phones, like like you don't see. I mean, I finally got mine, but and it's really nothing to rave about it, right. but. Um, you don't you don't see lines out the door. You don't see you know a huge demand that you've seen in pre- previous launches. And I think that what we talked about before, like I, I feel like the, the 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 level the playing field is is more even now because the technology. There's no really no crazy improvements or advancements in the technology. So when when in one one sitting Apple used to lead, now they're not really leading because their competitors are doing pretty much the same stuff. Like. The, the hardware, the manufacturing elements of the phone are pretty much the same stuff. The 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 meat of the phone is pretty much the same, um, you know, it's the same components. And so I feel like in that sense, they, they, they were in a perfect position to be able to really, like, kill Samsung. And they, they didn't. They haven't. Yeah. And that's shameful. Yeah. I, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I agree. I agree from, from a business standpoint. It's hard to get, you didn't really capitalize. I don't. 
necessarily agree that the phones are the same. I think this is just, and we talked about this before, I think it's just really, you know, it's a perception game and it's a marketing game and like what Apple's been able to do all these years from just from a marketing standpoint and a design standpoint is lead the way in cool and make this thing, make this be the must-have thing because it's so cool. What they, what, what this is where they're kind of failing in the a- Apple Watch, right? Because when they announced the Apple Watch, I was like, I want it! And then once I saw it and held it and messed around with it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm good. And uh, doing some research for for a thing we were doing a couple days ago, I saw a bunch of smartwatches where I was like, oh, these all look way better. All, all of them look way better than the Apple Watch. And my, my point about the phone is I, I, I wonder about, you know, is Apple set, did Apple sort of set itself up with these, with these um, keynotes and these launches for us to expect something bigger and better every time and maybe of course they do. but maybe you're not going to get something bigger maybe and, and frankly I think the improvements in the iPhone 7 technology with the camera and the battery life and the speed like from a from a, from a 5 to a 7 or from a 6 to a 7 are, are pretty remarkable now the phone looks the same but what stop it I, I, I think I think that come on 50% more battery life <laughs> come on really you know really, really? that's what you that's what you're gonna that's your selling point <laughs> uh, you know the 50% faster oh okay I mean that's good stuff. <laughs> a camera that's that's one of the best cameras, and a second best camera in the market now, but like our third best actually. So, but a very good camera. Uh, I don't know. My point is, what do we want from Apple? Do we do we want the phone to come out? It's the new like if it was a new body style that was like transparent, translucent, or had wings and can fly. Like what do we like? How do they have to top themselves with a phone that's pretty perfect? Hey man, that's the thing. The Steve Jobs era, he was very good at bringing. Forth the the, the magical realism of, of their the product, orchestra. yeah, their product launch. He was he was a he was a wizard, you know, and and wizards do stuff that we can't necessarily explain. Like, how are they doing this? How are they making this? This is so awesome. Like, and that mystique, that type of um, fantastical element that used to be baked into Apple's yeah. marketing push is no longer there. Like, it's not as sexy as it used to be. It's That's just like okay, Steve Jobs' foot was on everyone's throat and he's screaming at everybody. Hey, and but, firing fools. Hey. Sometimes you might need that leadership to really be innovative. Okay. Like that's the same that's the same type of leadership that Elon Musk has. Yes. Like most well, yeah. or Kanye and, or, or Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, hey, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, but, yeah, but to answer your question, I think it should. Every time they do a keynote, it should be dope. It should be like pushing boundaries and and raising the bar of expectation. Should will this be flat? I will say that. I will say it should be that. Or don't do it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. You just slide a phone out without having to be like, "Good news, everyone! <laughs> uh, we've changed your lives again." Like more no, battery. You, no, you didn't. You Longer know. battery life. Uh, I want to uh, talk out to our folks at DraftKings. Football season's halfway done. If you're in a fantasy league like I am, you, you some of you are doing well. Some of you, or most of you, like me, are doing horribly. But that's okay. If you're in those weekly, if you're in those season long fantasy leagues, you should get out now or supplement them with DraftKings like I do. You can play once a week. Every single week is the the destination for once-a-week fantasy football. Never again, injuries, all that stuff, the waiver wire, all that mess I got to deal with. You can do on on DraftKings. You get a brand-new season every single week. You pick your your contest, draft your team, and win money every week. Um, There's 50-50 contests, all kinds of contests. You win in a share of a gigantic amount of money. don't wait. Start your season at DraftKings.com now. Use promo code GEEK to play for free with your first order and, and, and your first deposit. That's promo code GEEK to play for free and share in over $1 million in total cash prizes this weekend. Only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions apply. Check the site for details. Um, DraftKings. 
Microsoft. Um, Microsoft is, you know, I was reading this argument how, how irrelevant Microsoft is as a company. Oh, I know. I was, I was listening to John Hellerman, uh, who wrote the book Game Change, talking about Bill Gates and talking about the idea that Bill Gates, you know, what, what, what's his obit? And I don't want him to die or anything, but what is his legacy? Is his legacy going to be starting the computer revolution or or in, in, in philanthropy where he's like may on, on, on track to being a part of curing a lot of diseases. Uh, I'm saying that say Microsoft was a company that was super relevant that does not seem to be relevant anymore. Microsoft has kind of gone the way of IBM, which is like, you know, it's relevant for what it did, but as a, but as an innovator, it's kind of, it's kind of like flattened out if not dipped, but they're still fighting because they have a new, this is my opinion. I want to hear your opinion on that, but like they have a new uh, 3D paint app, which uh, lets you do uh, 3D print your Minecraft creations and do other things. And it's a really, really interesting push on creativity and embracing sort of, um, you know, sparking innovation through creativity with youth. And I think it's uh, a, the, the, the ad that they use and the software looks great. I don't know anything about Microsoft or anything about IBM stuff so or PC stuff, so I don't know. But what do you think of this? What do you think of my, my, my assertion that Microsoft's dead? I mean, I, wouldn't, I would definitely not say Microsoft is dead. They're, I mean, Not like, relevant. Uh, I wouldn't say they're irrelevant either. I would okay. say that, I mean, if you're comparing them to a Google or Apple, they're not as relevant, but they're definitely not irrelevant. I feel that they still have a market share um, in terms of fulfilling um, the needs of a lot of businesses throughout the world. It is Microsoft that's still, you know, dominant. Um, and in terms of the creative suite, a lot, a lot of their software is still being used, you know, th- on on Apple computers, on IBMs, on all types of computers. So I think that they still have a lot of prominence as it relates to software, and especially with stuff like this, developing stuff for the creative community. And I mean, a, a lot of their computer slash tablet things that they're that they they pushed out, like I think they're really fresh, like how they're they're, they're able to you're able to. As we see in this picture, you're able to illustrate something, animate it, and and do it all, you know, do it all in one in one place using both hardware and software. So I would say that I wouldn't say that they're out the game or they're not they're not you know they're not in the contest. They definitely are in the contest. I, I, I take that back. They're definitely in the contest and, and doing some stuff. I think that they are not. Um, as relevant as they used to be in the early 90s and 80s and early 90s and early aughts. But I think that I think that you're right because this new campaign with these new these new tablets and uh, and what you're seeing is is pretty innovative. And you know I'm still I'm still rocking my Xbox, so I don't know I know what I'm talking about. And as, a, as a, in terms of Bill Gates and his legacy, I think it'll be a dual legacy, just of what he's done technologically and what he's done philanthropically. Yeah, like I, I feel like there's no one like him. No, or not. Well, well, maybe one, maybe one. I, I, I think that, like, I will say that, I don't know, we'll, we'll, when it's all said and done, we'll see, but this is kind of a pattern. This is what all of those great, like, the, the, the you know, the, 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 Car- the Mellons and the, you know, the Carnegie and the Carnegies and the, and the Rockefellers, all these guys who, all these titans of industry, you know, who, who made their bones in the Industrial Revolution on the backs of a lot of folks, then turned to, like, Incredible philanthropy yeah, as often, often as a way. Well, not only that, but often as a way to sort of uh, most of them is just um, to the guilt that they felt from the, the the oppression and all the things that they did to a lot of different folks. And I highly doubt and, that. Well, that, that that that's the story. That that is the story along, along the lines of most of these guys. It's like they gave and tried to whitewash basically all the all the dirt they did by 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 sort of pushing their name forward. 
in a philanthropic way. And a lot of it worked. You don't think of, you think of a lot of these guys, Rockefeller, and these names are still around, you know, but um, the, I don't think that that's the case with Bill Gates. But, um, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. Because he was in a lot of trouble, like, just, just in, 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 you know, a lot of trouble in uh, 2000 for a lot of different, he was he was not the coolest guy in the world. And they switched to, f- to film f- uh, philanthropy. And now, He's, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, so. You you could draw out the negative qualities of any person. And I am not an advocate of Bill Gates by no means. But what he's doing around the world in terms of, you know, um, trying to bridge clean water and have toilets in in a lot of third world countries that don't have, you know, the infrastructure that we are um, blessed to have here. I love what he's doing with that just in terms of just various initiatives that he's put his his time not just his money but his time and energy and brain power into i kind of i kind of admire that um and, and and you can see the similarities with mark zuckerberg doing uh, some of the same things pledging to you know find cures for cancer and things of that nature so in a way you're you're right when you get to be at that titan level like you you kind of are forced to begin to to do more philanthropic you know activities you know and i think that's what we're seeing um with a lot of you know tech company leaders so yeah uh, speaking of tech, Snapchat did uh, did something really. God, man, this is a really cool thing. So, so Netflix is is relaunching the Gilmore Girls, which I care zero about. But that is every... not true, bro. You have the poster <laughs> in your house. I, 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 I there, there is some Gilmore Girls happening uh, around, but like, uh, but everyone who I'm close to who is of the female persuasion seems to be freaking out about the Gilmore Girls. I, don't and I really, it. I really, honestly, did, I was not knowing about the Gilmore Girls because uh, until like. There's a certain age group that are that are you know that are kind of like in the generation Y girls, like women in their thirties ish, that are losing their minds over the Gilmore Girls, and there's a whole other generation that found them on Netflix. But so it's back. Netflix is a new thing, and they Netflix did a pop up coffee shop of Luke's Coffee Shop, uh, did a bunch of them all over the country, and they had 200 local cafes and a bunch of in LA. And I know a lot of people that went to the one in Studio City. I know a lot of people that went. Uh, uh, Lola and Julia went. And the point I'm making is Snapchat did a filter and it was viewed by fans 880,000 times. Like they've got uh, the numbers on what, what they were able to do and accomplish is, is pretty, pretty amazing. Like uh, in one day they got like a half a million in, in, in over, like, I'm sorry, more than it reached more than five, half a million people in one day. That's a pretty good marketing stunt for, by Netflix and, and, and Snapchat. I think that's pretty effective. Definitely effective, and you know it's a great crossplay between, um, you know, a social media platform and a content platform, mm-hmm. and I think that is great to see. Um, I think it's great to see, you know, the the relationship between the two work together to be able to, you know, promote not only um, promote not only content. Um, but also an experience on Snapchat, and I think it's it's a it's a great thing for fans of the show um, to be able to have you know content to be able to interact with the inter- the social ability and interactivity of the content. I think I, l- I would love to see more of this, and I think obviously this is Snapchat's monetization play in terms of bringing more ad revenue into their platform. But having them do this with more movies and television shows, I think, and I think they have already done that. But to do it more, I think we're going to see that happen um, very soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Netflix is really making a lot, a lot of great moves. Uh, I think this is more, more of a, this is more of a Netflix. Um, 
a, a win than a Snapchat win, in my opinion. It, it can't lose. And I just I just read the the slate of Netflix releases for November. Mm-hmm. And it's outrageous. And it made me think, like, oh, this isn't going to slow down. Yeah. Every Thousand month, hours of content, 2017. Original content. Every month, Netflix is going to be like, oh, and here's our January output. We're going to be like, what? And then we got season twos and threes of things. I mean, like, they're really... I don't know, man. I, mean, just, I, mean, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, we need to get that money. We need to get some of that Netflix money, and we're, we're definitely working on it. Um, I want to skip to... Well, I do want to mention this this cruise that hopefully I've never even heard of. That hopefully we can go on the Summit at Sea. Yeah. Do you know about Summit at Sea? I do, actually. Well, how come I don't know anything about yeah. nothing? Summit at Sea started in 2008. Uh, Elliot Elliot uh, uh, now. Uh, you know, started with 19 entrepreneurs and took them on a ski trip in, in Salt Lake City. Now it's grown to over 10,000 people. They got this huge uh, cruise they do. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kendrick Lamar, um, you know, Harry Belafonte, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of folks, John Legend, every, like a lot, basically like a thousand really incredible minds together talking about and thinking about how to make um, things better. And, and, and I think it's dope. Yeah, super dope. Um, because you know, not just black folks. It's Perry Farrell. It's everyone. It's everyone. It's it's Silicon Valley meets popular culture and meets innovation. And ninety percent of the people that you know come on these experiences are people they've are, they've already curated, and then ten percent are people that you know can be invited or selected. Um, but yeah, it's getting the greatest minds or people that are are really doing you know innovative, cool things in their space, and getting them in the same room to have a conversation and to see what you know bridges can be built and what um, links could be met and what ideas can be sprouted out of that experience. And I think it's, I think it's a great concept. Um, it's pretty pricey. Um, it's, I think it's like two grand uh, for those that are given the invitation. Um, but conceptually, I think it's awesome because that's, and what I really like about it is that it's transgenerational. They're not yeah. saying we only want a certain type of people. Like it's open to to to, to the elder statesmen, Absolutely. and it's open to the to the youngest of us. You know, and having having that blend, that diversity, that variation really allows for innovation and, and a great great idea um, think tank. You know, I would I would love to be uh, on the summit of the man. That's a by the way, you know, you got a good racket when you have an invite only thing. I'm exclusively inviting you to my event, Akili. Yeah. It's just for two thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like when you invite someone to a thing and you happily will pay the two thousand dollars and get the invite, yeah. that's kinda dope. Um Moving forward, I want to touch briefly. We had to get out of here, but I want to uh, touch on Black uh, Black Mirror. We, I've been talking about Black Mirror a lot. It's on. It's up. Um, I've, I've seen five out of the six episodes. Um, I'm liking it. There's a couple couple clunkers in there, but for the most part, I think it's good. Uh, this article talks about the one episode, which which deals with sort of an augmented, sort of virtual reality, augmented reality. It's this idea of this guy playing a game that is sort of like a, a that. Is, is a is a matrix style neural implant into mm-hmm. the brain and it takes him in this world where stuff looks and feels real. Now obviously he can he can not touch it, but he's actually walking through this virtual reality world, stuff pops out, it's scaring him, it's weird. But the idea is that after a while when you don't know what's real <laughs> and what's fake, what, what what that does to your brain, and it's a really interesting thought, but it's again, like all black mirror things, not that far away from reality. When you walk in a world where you're walking you coming up, it's one of the scenes see a giant Pokemon, but when you're seeing like you know, a, a, a zombie chase you with a knife. Like your brain doesn't know that that's not a real zombie. Yeah, it's not just that though. It's, it's, 
what they're what they're proposing is that they're doing a psych a psychology test on you to you know be, they'll ask you certain questions to kind of give like a, build a, a character profile of you to see what your fears are and right. based on that they're That's right. that was, they're, that was the episode, they're yeah. injecting your own fears into this experience so yeah. if you're afraid of spiders or whatever there might yeah. be giant spiders that chase you or uh, spoiler alert <laughs> that, ha- that, that happens to my man oh really yeah, in, I haven't in, seen the episode in a, in a very weird way oh wow uh, so, so, I, I had no idea, I had no it, idea. it's crazy though <laughs> but I think the thing that's really most interesting um, aside from the Black Mirror example is that the real the real life example of this is that the AI technology that they're building into gaming is that is really when you're playing when you're playing the game the the AI is actually reading your behavior what choices you're making within the game um, how you, how you're trying to navigate through the maze like how you're killing the enemies like right. what's your all the moves that you're making is collecting that information in a way the game is playing you it's studying you and as it's part. studying you it's creating new levels or a new experience and I think that's crazy that that we're even like thinking or that we're, we're close to that actually happening that where is the weird part you're playing something that is changing and morphing based on the decisions that you're making uh, in my, real time that's the, my, my friend drew got the new um, PlayStation joint mm-hmm. and um, he was just saying like how I mean, he's playing video games his whole life and he's you know actually a little older than me and Drew was saying that it is it free he can't play he's like he can't play some of the games he freaked him out because like it's one thing to be playing a game you know when, but when you have this headset on the zombies and monsters are life size he said yeah. you look to the left and there's Rah! someone right there and you're trying to shoot them down but it's like your brain is messing it says it's messing up he said he can't stop playing and I was like wow I'm like I want to play so you think you want to play yeah. Until the giant zombies start popping out of doors on you, and you, you know, uh, you just wilding out on the couch. I, I don't know. Have, have, you, have you got a chance to play one of those like immersive games like that yet? Oh no, I haven't played a a, a game with the VR te- with any VR technology. But I've I've done a few of the VR experiences yeah. where you're just in a world in and a it's kind of guiding bow and arrow, or you're doing exactly. some stuff. But I haven't I haven't done a game one where you're actually like whipping ass or shooting stuff or yeah. running from stuff. Like, but I could see how that could be jarring psychologically and. I mean, just the blurred lines of reality and fantasy. Like, I, th- I think being in this immersive environment, you, your brain is going to change. Yeah. Like, and who knows how that's going to affect you when you're not connected to the device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, you, I mean, it's... <laughs> Start switching what, and jumping and shooting stuff that's not a zombie. Exactly. <laughs> it's, which is a bit back to full circle. That's, that's kind of what the Black Mirror episode goes to. And it's really, um, it's really good. Uh, I will say, those of you who watched the first episode of Black Mirror, I was kind of like, eh, all right. Like keep watching. I feel like that they get progressively better, and I just the the, the 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 three that I saw in a row were like the middle three. Woo, fantastic. Okay. Um, last but not least, um, Disney is doing a version of um, is doing a version of uh, of Oliver Twist and Oliver and uh, my man Ice Cube is going to be um, what's my man's name? Fanigan, uh, and uh. I think I just lost the story, but is Lin-Manuel involved in this one? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, look, Lin-Manuel is, right now, could not be the hotter, and very smartly, the Walt Disney Company has thrown him a bucket of money and said, as he he said himself, I am the property of the Walt Disney Company for at least for the the next unforeseeable future. He got him doing Mary Poppins. He did Mona. He's, he's, you know, uh, he's on some other stuff. He's doing this. Uh, I I think this is good, right or no? Why do you feel about this? Uh, I mean, I, I I feel that conceptually it could be good. I'm a little, I wouldn't say I'm suspect, but I don't know. Cube Cube Vision, 
um, him him putting his finger fingerlings in this. I mean, I think it could be good. Oh, no, you, I don't, you sound like you're out on Q Vision. No, no, not definitely okay. not out on Q Vision. I don't know. If th- I don't know if this interests me personally. Do I think this would interest those that that are into this type of content? Yeah, it could. well, those are fans of Oliver Twist. Exactly. Fans yeah. of you know. Um, I was just never an Oliver Twist dude. That's what I'm saying. Like it doesn't really interest me, like in t- with my sensibilities. But I feel like I feel like it's 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 a good pairing of talent, and I think that the the output, the creative output, is going to be great. You yeah. know. And of course, I was never into Alexander Hamilton either. So I, I, I hey, love that true. property. So true, true, true. true, true. I'm, not, I'm not a Hamilton guy. The next thing you know, I'm you know all over it. Uh, and last but not least, I would I say there's a um, a disruption in the in the in the creative force. Um, well, two actually, a report. Uh, Deadpool director and Ryan Reynolds um, have parted ways. Uh, M- Miller and um, what's my man's name? Um, Tim Miller. Tim Miller is leaving Deadpool for creative dis- differences with, with Ryan Reynolds. I'm on a thread with all my boys right now, and they are hand wringing about it now, asking me about like what's going to happen. And I don't think it's a big deal. I, I, I think look, no, no, no disrespect to Tim Miller, but he is a visual. He's a visual effects guy. Visual effects director. This is his first film. He was absolutely integral in bringing the creative. Uh, uh, what making the look and feel of Deadpool and also propelling what that is forward kinetically but the heart and soul of what Deadpool was was Ryan Reynolds um, and in the character when he brought to that character I'm pretty sure they can plug in another director and another another uh, VFX team and probably get the same result yeah I think they can get the same result um, interesting just the, the political dynamics between director and actor you know when a, when a film is successful and the actor already has skin in the game you yeah. know in terms of like pr- producer leadership like and he's saying you know Ryan's saying well you know I'm, hey this this film gro- you know gross worldwide over 500 million dollars like I want to be more vocal about you know the, the 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 creative decisions and happenings of this film and I don't like the direction director um, I just, they were I, like partners they were like they, they came up they like they did this together like I know, that's, brought up for nothing it wasn't like weird. he just got some guy he got thrown out it was like his boy like that's they, weird yeah that's well weird. I, what I read about what, 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 my, my insider Nate Hopkins my, my friend who's worked on Star Wars and, and, and Avatar he just texted and said I'm just giving some inside dope right now uh, you know he just said that uh, it's really it was about uh, Miller wanted to do more CG and push the b- boundaries of more CG and Ryan Reynolds wanted, wanted more grit and more uh, practical stuff and so the, the creative differences was like look man I'm the dude who brought you here I'm the VFX guy I want to do more VFX shit to get my game up yeah. you know and Ryan Reynolds like this needs to be grittier and not VFX he's like I can make it grittier with the VFX and then that's kind of where, where so that makes sense and then it was, it was supposed to be it, they're saying it's an amicable split right. and Fox quickly snapped Miller up put him on another project another high profile project so it's not like he's out of the business but you know I mean it, it, it happens it happens but, I mean I, I would say that those that loved Deadpool you know and the tonality of it and just how it was expressed in the first film like a, a, a big degree of that was um, the auteurship of, of, of Tim and so not yeah. to have him integrated into this new iteration of it I think it might be it might be totally off, and that's not yeah, that's the scare fans. You know, I, I like equal parts. I like what, I like what was happening visually and what they're able to do effects wise, and how, how that how the kinetic nature of how they use those visual effects, and also equally like what Ryan Reynolds was doing, uh, you know, as as a character and what was happening with the screenplay. Yeah, but he so. still was being directed. Well, this is the argument. Ryan Reynolds would tell you like, man, he wasn't directed me. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I I wrote that. I, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Like, okay, but he, Ryan Reynolds wasn't the only actor in the movie. Yeah, well, 
okay, I, you know, I, 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 I hear you. I, I, I my, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I'm not sure Tim Miller was is is Martin Scorsese. He's not exactly like working with the actors. <laughs> He's just in the lab doing effects. That's it. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm being dismissive. I know, <laughs> super dismissive. But uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then the other major exit uh, that 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 is quick when we'll get out of here is our boy um, Brian Fuller is out out as creative runner, creative creative uh, showrunner of Star Trek. Um, you know, he's got two major, major... Uh, I'm a huge fan of Brian Fuller. Obviously, he's, a, he's kind of a somewhat friend of the program. Uh, and um, uh, he's uh, a huge creative force, but he had American Gods, which is a huge project coming with for stars, which looks fantastic, by the way, uh, adapted from the Neil Gaiman uh, novel. And then he also had Star Trek. So he's got two huge pieces of IP. And frankly, as great as American Gods look and it's about ready to launch... Star Trek is Star Trek, and so you, when your boss is Les Moonves uh, of the CBS fame, Les doesn't play. Like they already delayed it once, yeah. And then and, and rumor has it he would have delayed again till May, right? And Les is like, uh, my IP is more important than that IP. I, mean, I got Star Trek, so you gotta. I don't know. I need. To, I gotta make a move. So it's a split. It's an amicable split, is what they say. But I of think, course they say that. I, but I'm pretty sure he was fired. Of course, it's amicable. No. <laughs> he had. I mean, like, and I love Brian, but like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Two two giant shows like that simultaneously. You know, I I, I was very. I'm going to keep it 100. I was very suspect about the Star Trek um, reboot. You know, especially with how they're how they're distributing it. You know, giving it. You know, to. Netflix international, but not giving it to Netflix domestically, and having you have to go through the 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 app to be able to watch the content. I mean, I felt like that that already is a wrong play strategically, and just tonally, who knows? Like it might be, it may not be the right tone. It may, it may not be the right execution of it, you know. And I I think I, that, like, I think that's a big part of why he, you know the amicable amicable split happened. I think it's something that's tonally. Um, directorially off about it. You, know, you, don't, I don't, you don't think it was just a delay? Cause got, why is it delayed? Because he's busy? No, it's delayed because it's not right. Yeah. I mean, because exactly. It's not like he just has to be there every, like, hands on everything. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely not right. And, I, and it's, it's interesting to see, like, you know, I know that uh, Brian's a huge sci-fi guy, huge genre guy. He wrote on, um, I think he wrote, he wrote on Voyager for a while. He's a huge Star Trek person. Um, but... Um, I would love to see what his vision of, of Star Trek looks like and, on his own, but I don't know if we'll ever be able to see what his sole vision. Now, he's staying on as executive producer, and he's staying on as, like, sort of the godfather, but day-to-day showrunner, he's out. Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The showrunner is the guy that, you know, makes those creative decisions yeah. and, you know, yeah, is the director of the television But show. the new showrunner may blow up the writer's room. They may blow up, you know, everything. And they've got and they've got Nick Meyer in there who directed uh, Wrath of Khan and, and, and Star Trek Six, And he's been in there. And there's, there's some, like, I've heard some grumblings about, you know, whether or not people get along with Nick Meyer. He's old school. And so, you know, it's a lot, 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 of, lot of trouble. We'll see. Yeah. And, and then the, they debuted the ship at Comic-Con. And it looked like a Klingon ship. And everyone was mad. See, it's totally off. And it's called Discovery. Like we talked about, it's, you know, like STD is the initials. <laughs> that's, that's, that's off. <laughs> it's mistake after mistake. STD. Man, it's no, it's no bueno. All right. It's no bueno. Uh, that's it for us. I think that's all we got. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I, oh, we didn't talk about Atlanta. Did you, watch, did you see Atlanta? Um, I think I'm... Juneteenth? Yeah, I haven't seen that episode yet. Oh, my God. The last episode I saw was the club one. Okay, I love it. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like my I man. I felt like with it, the, just a quick, quick beat yeah. on that. Like the the one that was infra, infra commercial based, or the one that had the kind of the like B, studio B, the setup. B-E-N. 
Yeah, that one was kind of like that was a little too much for me. I felt I, I, th- I felt some parts were funny, but for a whole episode to yeah. do that, I felt that was just a little. It, I, it kind of took the momentum down, you know. I think that the episode was a was an interesting experiment. I like right. they're trying to do. I like that they did it. I like that they tried it. But I thought the ex- I, I, but to me, yeah, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh as much as I wanted to laugh. Not at all. It felt like an episode of the Chappelle Show, but right. but, but God, on, on on Black Twitter and on and on in, in anywhere, people were raving about that episode. Oh, the BN episode! It's more like I don't know. It feels more like an echo chamber. Of people wanting to perpetuate like it's so dope. I didn't find that dope. I did I like I did, I did like the club one. Uh, club one, but the Juneteenth one is good. Okay. The Juneteenth one's actually funny. The Juneteenth one's kind of like back to the Black Beaver episode in terms of being bitingly, you know, satirically funny. Yeah, the Black um, Beaver episode, I think thus thus far is the best episode. No, that, that, one, that, that one is like laugh out loud, funny, yeah. hands down, hilarious. Um, in terms of funny, I mean, I mean, this was back to being funny and poignant. There's also some very poignant ones, like the girl, like the one her solo episode with her by herself was that was very poignant. I thought the episodes one and two were also very good. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, if we're talking about a show that, that the drama the drama notes are dope on some episodes and the comedy notes are dope on some, the comedy notes are down. I think it, we're talking about a really good piece of work. He's yeah, doing body, a lot of stuff. Body of work, one hundred percent. I agree. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Akibi Shine. Where can they find you? They can find me on twi- Twitter and Instagram at Joe K Braswell. That's all I got. Bye. <laughs> From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live. Tip me, Instagram, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, the club one. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.